welcome to the Horses Equine Innovators Podcast, sponsored by Zoetis Animal Health. I'm your host, Stephanie Church, Editor-in-Chief at The Horse. Every day, researchers at universities and other institutions around the world are investigating new ways to care for and understand our horses in the horse industry. In this podcast series, we talk to those innovators to learn more about their work. First today, a message from our sponsor. We all know the saying, no hoof, no horse, but research also shows that many common horse behavior problems can be rooted in dental pain. Our podcast sponsor, Zoetis, encourages all horse owners to schedule an annual dental exam with their equine veterinarian. Visit zoetisus.com to learn more. Your clients' horses will thank you. And now, today's conversation with three equine innovators. As horse owners, unless we're making breeding decisions, we don't necessarily give our horses' genes a lot of thought. But genetics are essential to the health of a horse population. And ever since scientists announced the completion of the first genome map of a horse back in 2007, scientists have had the tools necessary to better answer questions about everything from coat color to inherited diseases. Today I'll be talking with Drs. Ernie Bailey and Ted Kalbfleisch of the University of Kentucky and Dr. Jessica Peterson of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln about the Thoroughbred Genetic Diversity Project. This is a significant effort that's currently underway at their institutions and it could change how scientists study thoroughbred genetics and how breeders and farm managers make decisions about breeding, management, and even performance. Welcome doctors, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's Thank good you. to be here. Good to be here. Great. It's great having you. So uh, let's let's find out a little bit about your backgrounds before we get started. So um, why don't we talk, start with Dr. Bailey? Tell me a little bit about your background and your role and what you focus on in your research, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky at the M.H. Gluck Equine Research Center, and I joined this department in 1980 after completing doctoral studies at the University of California, Davis, where I was studying genetics and immunology of horses. And uh, I was fortunate to be invited to uh, come to this land of horses to continue my research. I teach a course in horse genetics, and I do research and graduate training in the area of horse genetics. All right, thank you. How about you, Dr. Kalbfleisch? Uh, so um, I am, uh, like Ernie, I'm a faculty member uh, here at uh, the University of Kentucky at uh, the M.H. Gluck Equine Research Center. Uh, my area of expertise is uh, is a field known as bioinformatics, and it's, uh, it's sort of where uh, molecular biology and computer science meet up. And uh, what I spend most of my time doing, whether it's in uh, in research or uh, just doing what I can to, to help uh, other folks out, uh, is to study the genomes, uh, the genomic content of, uh, of, of animals and, uh, uh, and humans. Great, thank you. And Dr. Peterson, how about you? Hi, so I'm an associate professor um, at the University of Nebraska. In general, my team works to identify how variation in the genome results in different traits um, in both cattle and horses. A large project under this umbrella in horses is a collaboration that I'm involved with with Ted Ted and others um, at the University of California, Davis, um, where we're working to identify variation in parts of the genome that aren't necessarily genes, but are critical to telling genes what to do. Um, 
Also, I'm a population geneticist, and in that um, role, I serve on the International Society for Animal Genetics and FIO Advisory Group on Animal Genetic Diversity. Um, and I've done past and ongoing research projects. I have past and ongoing research projects that are aimed to understand diversity within various breeds of the horse and also how those um, breeds are related to one another using genetic tools. Wow, I am just bowled over by all of your expertise. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I know that the listeners are going to have a good time learning about this topic. So let's dive right into your current research. Why is it important to identify genetic variation in a population? Uh, Dr. Peterson, do you want to take this one? Sure, that's, that's a great question. So I think most people, when they're asked about genetic diversity, probably think about genetic diversity as something that's important to endangered species. Um, while this is true, because we assume that populations with greater diversity are more adaptable to a changing habitat, diversity within domestic species and, and within breeds is a little bit different. Um, so for instance, what makes up a breed or population of a horse is dependent upon how we have defined that. And often that's something like conformation traits, um, color patterns, how that horse is gonna be used or, or different bloodlines. So although wild populations are subject to natural selection, our horse breeds are really subject to selection for those characteristics that we decided we want that breed to have and that we deem best. Um, so when we think about genetic variation, we have really different expectations of what genetic variation and diversity is um, and is a domestic population compared to those wild populations. Um, so that said, what I think is a really interesting challenge is that even the oldest breeds of horse are not very old at all. Um, horses were domesticated over 5,000 years ago, and the oldest breeds are three or maybe 400 years old. So we really don't have a lot of experience in managing horse breeds. We don't have a lot of years of experience in this. Um, and these breeds now have these very defined characteristics, and they're often closed populations like the thoroughbred, which means every new thoroughbred is derived from a previous thoroughbred, and there's no new genetics that are coming into the population. Um, so back to the question of why it's important to identify variation is we need to identify and understand what is within this population so we can use that information and then science to find means to maintain or manage that diversity in a way that is really suited to the needs of that breed. Great, thank you. And so why is your team focusing on thoroughbreds specifically with this current research? Maybe well, Dr. Bailey? Okay. Sure. The, um, Actually, this is this is a, a good topic for for all breeds, and 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 we think useful for management of, of everything. But we're starting with the thoroughbreds, and there's there's two very good reasons for that. And one is the uh, the information for thoroughbreds is um, well, they have 350 years of, of pedigree uh, information on their horses, and they've been selecting for racing performance for that period of time. And the breeders have done done a very good job, and and we would like to look at the genetics. The, the, the DNA and then relate that back to the pedigrees. And so it's, it's of great academic interest. It's a great starting point. The second reason is that thoroughbreds are uh, uh, very important commercially. And so uh, there's a lot of, there's, there's quite a bit of value to, 
to uh, some of the potential discoveries that we'll make. And I'll add to that and say that we we talk a lot, Ted and Ernie and I, and, and we get asked the question, um, and we're interested in the question of how has the diversity of the thoroughbred changed over the past 300 and some years. Um, but really beyond pedigrees, we don't know. Um, in hindsight, it would have been a tremendous resource if we had started banking DNA many, many years ago on these horses so we could use these genomic tools to answer that question. Um, so we don't want to be in that same position 100 years from now. So I think we would be negligent if we don't start cataloging the variation in the population now so we can better answer the questions of what is changing as we go forward in the future. Great, thank you guys. So how did we select for breeding and how did we study horse genetics like 20 plus years ago versus how can we do it now? Dr. Kalbfleisch? Um, so, uh, you know, when, when uh, farm managers or breeders would have made uh, breeding decisions, they would have taken two horses whose pedigrees they liked um, and uh, they, they would have crossed them to produce a foal. Um, and uh, these pedigrees are essentially a surrogate for for understanding uh, genetic composition and how it would be passed onto this foal. So if uh, when we're looking at a uh, a four generation pedigree uh, along the top line, there would be 16 horses uh, that would be, I guess, great great grandsires and dams, um, and uh, just uh, you know uh, looking at that. Uh, one might naively assume that one sixteenth of uh, the genetic composition of each animal on that top line uh, is given uh, or would have been been passed on to um, uh, to that foal, uh, when in fact uh, uh, the numbers are not going to be near uh, uh, one sixteenth at all. As, uh, as certain uh, traits in that pedigree have been selected for, selected against, uh, good genes and uh, good genes will uh, have been passed on, and bad genes will have been uh, uh, will have been uh, selectively weeded out. So, best we had uh, 20 years ago was the pedigree. Um, today, um, we can uh, we can sequence and know what every base in a horse's genome mm. is for uh, on the order of uh, uh, $1,000. Um, and we can know unequivocally um, uh, if we have uh, uh, sequence data for other animals in that pedigree, exactly how much genetic composition they have inherited from each animal and, um, and what they inherited. Um, so uh, 20 years ago, uh, none of this none of this existed. It was impossible. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, to, to do this very work uh, 20 years ago would have cost on the order of a million dollars. We can, uh, as I say, we can do it for about uh, uh, we can do it for about a thousand now. That's really cool. You guys have really made some giant leaps forward. If you want to drive the price of anything through the floor, give it to the biotech industry. <laughs> nice. That's great. So let's let's go back to variation. How do you go about cataloging this variation? What are you looking at and comparing specifically in a population of horses? Uh, good good question. Um, so uh, we have a 
what's what's referred to as a reference genome. There was a thoroughbred mare, or is a thoroughbred mare, um, named Twilight. Uh, she lives up at Cornell, and uh, her genome was sequenced and assembled, uh, which is a, a different process from just sequencing. Um, so that is a, a, a much more involved effort. In fact, the, uh, uh, your listeners might remember the Human Genome Project. That cost $2.3 billion and took about 10 years to do. Today, we're able to generate a reference quality genome for about $25,000. Uh, but in, in short, what, what one does is uh, one generates this, this reference quality uh, genome that will have all the nucleotides on every chromosome mapped out. Uh, and then one would take uh, a blood sample or some other uh, piece of tissue from some other horse and would sequence uh, their DNA, and this is uh, uh, this would cost uh, about six six hundred dollars to do the sequencing, about four hundred dollars to do the analysis, uh, where that data will be mapped to the reference, and we will know how that animal differs from the reference animal. And every animal that is sequenced subsequently, um, we can then compare um, how those animals uh, in the entire population are uh, similar or differ from one another based on how uh, they compare to, to this reference genome. That's great, thank you. Twilight is a very important mare. Yes, she is. It seems, yes. <laughs> so can you give an example of some variants that have been found in other species um, and what types of doors discovery of these has opened? Yeah, so uh, in in uh, in humans, um, uh, we know uh, we know of the example of sickle cell anemia, where there is there is one uh, one uh, nucleotide change, and uh, if you have this uh, one nucleotide uh, change and you're heterozygous for it, meaning you only have one copy, uh, then you carry the sickle cell trait. And so why is this thing stuck around all these years? Because it uh, it confers resistance to malaria and is kind of a good thing to have if you live in an area where uh, malaria is uh, is common. But if you get two copies of this, uh, you you get sickle cell anemia, and that is a bad thing. Um, so that that is a uh, uh, that's a, uh, a genetic disease that we understand that we've known about and we understand very well. Uh, another that uh, came on uh, that we uh, uh, worked out uh, maybe 20 or so years ago, where it was the ApoE allele for uh, early onset Alzheimer's. So the 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 discovery of these alleles and their attribution to uh, uh, a a particular disease or trait. Um, is something that, that uh, requires an enormous amount of research, an enormous amount of funding, and is uh, really very difficult to, uh, to do. Uh, many of the traits that we look at are, uh, are going to be complex, meaning that there isn't just a single nucleotide that is responsible for them. And you know, many, uh, uh, many genes act in concert to produce the particular trait uh, that that uh, that you're, you're you're looking at, and to make things more complicated, if you know you're trying to understand what makes what makes one horse great, uh, or what makes horses great, um, uh, it may in fact be true that ma what makes one horse great is uh, genetically very different from what makes another horse great. Um, so um, you know, working out uh, um, you know just how all of these genes work together is uh, 
is uh, a, a really very difficult endeavor, but but that's what we're all about. I'd, I'd like to, to, to point out actually that this is an opportunity that's quite different. I, I've been doing this for 40 years, and 40 years ago when we started, um, most of our research was directed at determining whether or not a trait was hereditary, and the advice that we could give readers was simply avoid this particular line. Um, and and with the whole genome sequencing, it's changed things dramatically. I mean, as Ted says, we can focus in and identify a specific variant that has the impact. Um, we can identify individuals that perhaps come from a line that is known to have a, a particular trait and either select for it, the, the, the actual gene, or select against the actual gene. We can identify them very specifically. So it, it in the last 15 to 20 years, um, the way that we can do genetics has changed profoundly. That's very interesting. Dr. Peterson, did you have anything to add? I just, I think with respect to this project, what Ted and both, both Ted and Ernie alluded to about most of the traits that we're very interested in with the thoroughbred being performance and health, they're, they're very complex. And so they're, they're driven by many, many gene variants. And the first step is to know what variants are present. And that's why this project is so important, because that's the first step that we can accomplish um, that will lead us on this path to being able to identify how they work together to create superior or inferior horses or horses that excel in one aspect of, of um, performance versus another. Thank you. So could someone tell me about the mechanics of the Thoroughbred Diversity Project? How many horses' genomes will you be sequencing? How, you're, how are you going to select those horses? And how will you use that data moving forward? Well, the, the, um, it's an infrastructure project. What, we're try what we want to do is to create a database that can be used by many researchers to, to investigate a, a diversity of questions. Um, and, and the goal is to identify as much of the existing variation that exists in the thoroughbred breed as possible. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, what we're, we are doing is that we are um, getting samples from 2,000 thoroughbreds. We have 1,000 in hand now, and we need another 1,000. We're selecting 2,000 horses, and then we're using the pedigrees of those horses to select the 100 of those that are the most diverse and we will do a whole genome sequencing on those. Now, the other, the other important point in this is that, is that the samples, the information is all anonymous. We're gonna collect 2,000 samples. No one will ever know which 100 out of those 2,000 that we select. And um, we will uh, do a whole genome sequence on them. There's 100 of them. And uh, uh, take advantage of Ted's bioinformatics skills to uh, identify the extent of diversity. We should be able to identify variants that have a, that have a frequency of at least 5%. We should collect, capture all of those. Um, we should capture most of the variants that have a frequency down to 0.05. So um, that, that's, wow. that's, that's the basic project. And I have to say here that Dr. Bailey came out to the barn and took a uh, blood sample from my horse, who's a former graded stakes winner. I'm kind of disappointed that I'm not going to know if he's going to be one of those 100 most divergent, but I am excited that we were able to participate in the study. Oh, and, and the other thing I should say is that, is that the, uh, our, intent, our goal is to take the data 
and make the uh, raw data basically available online um, in, in a public database so that other researchers can use the information. And that probably saves them a lot of time and money in performing their research, doesn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, it, it can take months and it can talk, take thousands of dollars just to identify the variants. And if all they can do, and if all they need to do is to basically log on to the computer and look in 15 minutes, um, any undergraduate can do that. Mm. That's great. So what additional innovations will this data make possible? Well, I, I, one of the things that it will do is create, as, as Jessica alluded to earlier, a benchmark. We'd like to, to, to know what, what is going on when the breeders are, are selecting for performance and selecting against uh, negative traits. How does that change the breed? And it would have been nice if we knew what the genome was 20 years ago or 40 years ago and see what, what has happened. We'd like to create a benchmark so that five years or 10 years from now, we can go back and repeat the work and, and have an idea of what variants have, have become more common and what variants have been lost. Um, mm -hmm. There are, as I think there's been allusion to um, throughout this, is that there are um, uh, research interests in looking at um, uh, genes that may have uh, an impact on health. Um, there are genes that people are interested in having to do with performance. Um, it's a complex uh, issue, and so there is not a single gene that's responsible for successful racehorses, and we'd like to, to study, um, uh, identify as many of those as possible. Um, one of the other applications is uh, um, to gene doping, and we have colleagues that are doing research in this particular area. Um, gene doping is where um, someone identifies a gene that has an impact on performance, and one way or another, uh, integrates that into the, the genome of, of a racehorse. And that, that, of course, is illegal according to the rules of the uh, International Jockey Club. Um, in order to detect that, what you would need to have is a, uh, uh, information on all of the existing variation in the horse so that you can um, run an assay to identify the existence of an, of, uh, uh, an, uh, an illegal piece of DNA. That's interesting. So let's say I'm a breeder and this research has been completed. What would I be able to review and how would I know to adjust my strategies? Hmm. Um, well, um, so what what would be uh, what would be best is if uh, uh, as a breeder, uh, you would have uh, gotten uh, your animals sequenced and uh, would have access to uh, uh, to the sequence data of the animal uh, to which uh, to which you were considering mating yours. Uh, and um, if so, uh, what you're able to do is um, uh, essentially compare their two genomes. Now you are not going to know, uh, for the most part, you are not going to know. Um, exactly what what the genome of the uh, foal that you would produce would be, but uh, what you can know is exactly how much genetic diversity you're able to retain or have a good idea of, of how much um, uh, genetic diversity you're able to retain in that foal and uh, what traits uh, you're likely to pass on uh, and at, um, uh, at what probability. So you know, ideally, um, you know, one could take uh, one could take these data 
and uh, integrate them into uh, into a breeding program, you know, in a way that uh, that makes it uh, makes it possible for people to make more well-informed decisions. That sounds like it'll be really useful. What additional ways might this data be used that we're that you guys are working on right now? Well, one of the one of the interesting applications for human genomics, people talk about personalized medicine. People have different responses to drugs. They have different susceptibilities to, to diseases. Um, if you have signed up for 23andMe and had your DNA profile tested and they, they, they might report back to you that you have a genetic predisposition to heart disease, um, what you might do is, is to is to react to it in a way to avoid that. You might say, I'm going to make sure I'm going to watch my weight and I'm going to reduce salt. I'm going to do a variety of things. I'm going to get good exercise. And that might be, um, that, that would be a response to knowing that you have a genetic predisposition to that. So with, with horses, it may be that we can identify um, uh, different predispositions in horses that may make different types of training beneficial, different types of diet beneficial. Um, we already know that there's a gene called uh, uh, myostatin, and there's a variant in that that uh, has a big impact on the success of a horse as either a sprinter or an endurance horse. So it's neither is is good, but if you want a sprinter, you would like to have one particular genotype. If you want a, a, a distance horse, you want a different genotype. Um, and these, these are one of the things that, that, that could happen. As, as we know already, there's not one recipe for being a successful racehorses. There's lots of different six ways to do it. And uh, we want to give the trainers the uh, best opportunity to, uh, to be successful. Again, that this is, this is a baseline of how much variation is present in the population now. Um, and that's important because every brand new foal has from 50 to 150 new variants in their genome that neither parent had. Um, so variation is constantly being introduced into the genome um, and it's also being removed and it's being removed because breeders are selecting horses to breed that have only good things or the best things they can find and so we might lose variation that results in negative things and it's also being lost just due to random chance there's only a 50 percent chance that a an allele will be passed on or a variant will be passed on from a stallion to um, its progeny so again now we can have that information where we can track which ones of those are being lost so that means they might not be contributing something beneficial to that horse, um, and which ones are are becoming more and more frequent. So this is going to allow us to then track that population, like we said, into the future. And then we can build hypotheses about what each of those variants are doing um, to benefit or, or not benefit that horse's performance. Hmm. That's cool. Thank you. So we've used a few genetic terms today. Uh, allele and nucleotide among them, and it's been a while since I've taken biology, and I have to look these up every time I write about them. So can you define those terms, please? Well, an allele is um, a, a $2 word for um, a genetic variant. Each horse has two copies of most genes. One comes from the mother and one comes from the father, and if there is a change in the DNA for that gene, um, that is what we refer to as a variant, and the other thing that we refer to it as is an allele. So there be so so we look at the MSTN gene. I mentioned that there are two variants in MSTN. 
Uh, one has an impact on sprinting, one has an impact on, on improving, improved uh, endurance, and uh, we refer to those, those variants as alleles, um, roughly the same. Okay. And, okay. and uh, for nucleotide, um, those are the, the individual uh, bases that, uh, that make up the genome. So in the, the horse genome has about 2.6 uh, billion of these things uh, that go uh, uh, one to the, uh, about 190 million of them in chromosome one, uh, and the rest of them uh, spread out through the, uh, through the other chromosomes in the, uh, in the genome. Wow. When Thank 40 you. years ago, we talked about alleles uh, and, and inheritance, but we didn't talk about nucleotides because we didn't have that information. So that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the novel aspect of genetics today. It sounds like you need about 1,000 additional samples for this project. How can horse owners get involved with this research? Well, we would we would be pleased to give people the opportunity to participate, and and it would help us a lot to uh, to get a diversity of samples. Um, if if people are interested, um, please contact me. My um, my email address is ebailey at uky.edu, and uh, what we would do would be to uh, provide some um, uh, uh, blood tubes. What we would like to get is a single 10 mil blood sample. Uh, it's a uh, fairly simple procedure to collect, and we would like the uh, the name of the horse, um, uh, its year of birth, and its uh, parents. Um, again, this is all very confidential. We we need that in order to determine its relationship to the other horses in the population, but it, it goes nowhere. It doesn't show up in any records. Um, mm -hmm. All we're interested in doing is reporting these are extent variants that exist in horses. But if, if people are uh, are interested in uh, in uh, helping us, I would be be um, pleased to uh, to hear from them. Thank you. I think it'd be very exciting to know that you're being a part you're a part of history making with this type of research. Thank you very much, Drs. Bailey, Kalbfleisch, and Peterson, for sharing your time and expertise with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're it welcome. Thank you for having us. I also want to thank our sponsor, Zoetis. For more from the horse, visit thehorse.com, sign up for our newsletters, or look for Ask the Horse Live wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you're enjoying what you're learning, please also rate and review Equine Innovators so that other horse owners can find us. Please join us next time as we explore the horse industry equine innovators.